Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Copcast podcast. And yeah, you may have guessed it. It's it's another Europod for you, given that uh, the the Reds still haven't gotten back in the first team training as we speak. I think that that comes uh, as of as of next week. So uh, with the Euro 2020 final, uh, although it is 2021, but of course the Euro 2020 final coming up in just a couple of days. Uh, joining me to look back on the semis and look forward to that and to possibly chat about a few transfer links involving Liverpool later in the show. Um, I've got Andy Bell over in Liverpool. How are you doing, Andy? Yes, I'm all good. Thanks, Chief. Um, yeah, so looking forward to, obviously the Euros have been class, but it's kind of at the point now where, you know, you go from three games a day to one game in four days and, uh, yeah, I'm just... I'm looking forward to the final. Really enjoyed the semi-finals, but ready for the Reds to get back. I'm, I'm fuming we don't know the preseason fixtures. I'm, I got really into preseason. I like watching the young players. I like watching the new signings. So uh, I saw they announced the squad for the the tour this morning. But yeah, I want some fixtures. Nice one. So you're, you're looking forward to that. And yeah, as as you say, as as we start to get the one game every few days, that can only mean that the tournament's winding up and uh, we can turn our attention back to club football. But before that happens, alongside Andy to to chat about uh, all things Euro, Steve Dunning in Belfast. How are you doing, Dave? Doing well, Chief. Thanks. The motherland going against the most despised nation in the world, potentially, and their fans are doing everything to justify my feelings on them. So, um, feeling vindicated on a number of fronts. But I think the big, I think the big takeaway from this and the big success and the big winner is the fact that there is no third, fourth place playoff for us to sit down and start the watch and after 10 minutes just go, this is shit, and turn it off. So I'm bang up for that for every future international tournament. Yes, yeah, interesting one. <laughs> Rather somewhat uncontroversially, the third, fourth uh, playoff has been scrapped. Uh, well, not being scrapped, in fact. There, there's never actually been one, I think, in, in the European Championships, as far as I know. But, Has uh, there not? As far, as far as I know, not. It was more of a World Cup thing. Uh, yeah, I keep I expecting one. Together. I keep expecting one, but I feel like there never has been one. Yeah, because it was always kind of 16 teams. So, it, well, eight teams and then 16 and, and so on. And it only went to 24 last time. So I don't think there really is one. But good that there isn't, because... They are generally dull. The odd time they produce corkers because the teams can relax, but generally they're two teams who are gutted not to be in the final. And they don't want to, Nobody wants to play that game, do they? They just want to go home. They just want to go home. They just want to go up. Oh, fuck that. Let's go home. So just let them go home. Like there's, I think, isn't it Peru, Colombia playing tomorrow yeah. night in the third, fourth place for the, the Copa? Fuck, they don't want to be there. You know? Poor Colombia, they've just been verbally assaulted by Emmy Martinez during a penalty shootout and lost. And like, they just want to go home to their families and cry for a few days. What was that? I didn't didn't see the Emmy Martinez stuff. Oh, it's great. It's absolutely great. Like, like, go and watch a penalty shootout. He just hurls (laughs) abuse at Yerry Mina for about a minute before he takes his penalty. He just won't let him take it. He's just shouting all the abuse of the day at him. Do we know know what he's actually saying? No, I I haven't haven't gone into that much to know what he's actually saying. But he's just absolutely done him. Absolutely done him up like a kipper. Just sat there and just told him how much of a cunt that he is or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the different ways that he's going to miss 
and lo and behold, he missed. Um, so yeah, Did he missed or was it saved? No, I think it was saved. It was saved, but it wasn't a very good penalty. So, um, so yeah, that that uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased about that. Long may that continue in all international tournaments. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and there were, I mean, there were, uh, I mean, all for all for that kind of gamesmanship and, and antics, and we we sort of had a little taster of it, perhaps in the at the Euros with the with the with the the Casper Schmeichel pre pre semi final chat um, with a little bit of that, but unfortunately that semi final didn't uh, didn't go to penalties, uh, at least not uh, not to a shootout. Um, so yeah, to get on and, and, and chat about that, we'll, we'll sort of sort of go right ahead. So we'll, we'll start with you, Andy. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we, the last time we did the pod, it was after the after the first knockout stage, so uh, we didn't really get chatting about the quarterfinals. Um, but nothing really, nothing really untoward sort of sprung from those. Did it, did it really? I mean, we, we sort of ended up with the semi-final lineup we we expected from the from the quarterfinals we had. Would would you agree with that or? Yeah, definitely. Um, for our podcast, we do like a wee predictions league, and the rules were you get two points for picking the winner and five points for a correct score. And I think everyone predicted all the correct winners, bar maybe Dave. He seems to have predicted England to go out every round. But yeah, as expected. Um, we live in hope. <laughs> <laughs> the Friday night was uh, was a lot better than the Saturday night, was it? Wasn't it? You got that um, you got that Spain Switzerland game, which. It wasn't the absolute best game for the neutral, but you had kind of the red card and Switzerland defending for their lives and all the narratives around Spain missing loads of chances and all that. Uh, and we got a penalty shootout, which is always, um, you know, can never turn our noses up at that, especially when you've been through a load of extra time. So that was all right. And then Belgium-Italy was, was probably the best game of the round and Italy just looked like, you know, Every inch a team that's that that looks like they can go on to win the tournament, and uh, you know, lo and behold, they find themselves in the final. It was interesting because Belgium in the in the round before that obviously showed the different side of their game, maybe the side of the game that people didn't think Roberto Martinez was capable of producing, um, with a kind of backs to the wall display and limiting Portugal to very few chances, and ultimately going through against the team who, you know, you'd, you'd expect a, a Fernando Sanchez, sorry, Sanchez Santos. Fernando Santos, Portugal side to, to show that side of the game rather than Belgium. So everyone's starting to think, you know, if Belgium can show that different side of the game married with the attacking quality they have, well, do they have a chance of doing anything? But no, ultimately they they, they bottled it as they as they have done as, as long as I've been alive, really. And Italy, you know, the way they saw that game out was just absolutely superb and is, was quintessentially Italian. And I thought it was great to watch. A lot of the English journalists disagreed, but I'm sure we'll come on to talk about the rank hypocrisy of them when we come on to talk about the semifinals. Um, oh, please. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and then the Saturday, it wasn't great, was it? I mean, as I think I told a story in this podcast that uh, my girlfriend was coming up and I was having to kind of, um, work out a way of paying the penance for watching four quarterfinals in the six days she was here. Um, so we met up with my mate and his girlfriend and we went down to an Irish bar in the Baltic in Liverpool to watch the Czech Republic Denmark game. And it was like really stuffy and crap and the pints were really expensive and you couldn't get served and there was no commentary for the game and the game wasn't that great anyway. Um, so we left that at halftime then found a different bar in the city centre for England and I pulled the plug on that after the third goal went in 
and bought everyone pizza to make up for it because I could not bear sitting through another 40 minutes. So there's not an awful lot of analysis I can give in those games. England looked decent. Denmark, I think, were always going to beat the Czechs in the quarterfinals. Czechs were probably happy to be there. You know, surprised everyone in getting there. A lot of people predict them to come fourth in that group. Um, and ultimately, they they were they they've they've outperformed what what everyone expected of them, and especially Patrick Schick. So yeah, decent offset of quarterfinals. Um, wasn't entirely drab. One real standout game, but the four the four uh, the four winners you'd expect. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think that's a, a fair assessment. I don't think there's anything I can really disagree with there. The tie of the round was, was certainly Belgium um, against Italy, I think, or Italy against Belgium, whichever way around. And Dave, is there anything you'd add to that? Is there any? Uh, what did you? Yeah, what were the highlights you of the of the quarterfinals? And uh, we, yeah, no surprises really, were there? Well, well, I did predict. Switzerland to beat Spain in penalties. I, had, I think I took it as a two-two draw with, with with Switzerland to go through, and I don't know what happened, but Spain, who had like missed their last six penalties or something, seemed to score all theirs, and um, Switzerland, who had scored five five out of five against France, and like five very good penalties out of five, it, it's just all all of their heads collectively fell off and pieces, uh, didn't it? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't. I, I just don't know what happened um, because they clearly. I think after the red card, they, they were playing for penalties, and I just thought that they seemed to have so much confidence in themselves that they could get Spain to penalties. They knew their record versus versus Spain's, and just thought, yeah, this is it. It's fine. But it just all it just all fell apart for them, which was pretty sad as as much for me as it was for them. I think, um, <laughs> given my uh, run of predictions, because um, I've tried to pull a few like that out, but. It wasn't to be for them. Um, yeah, I think the glamour tie turned out to be the best game, which doesn't it doesn't always turn out that way. Um, but the glamour tie was the best game, and I think we did see Martinez try to do the same thing he did against Portugal. But actually, what it turned out was he's not tactically astute enough to play that way, and Italy absolutely dominated them. Utterly dominated them. They were the first half. They were absolutely phenomenal. And uh, you know, I think I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it. Kevin De Bruyne in the big games for me does not show up. Kevin De Bruyne is not the man who is going to, when his team's back is against the wall, and you need someone like Steven Gerrard to grab a game by the scruff of its neck and drag his team over the line. He is not the guy to do that. And I don't want to hear excuses about his fitness or anything else. Um, because we saw what he did against Denmark when he came off the bench in a game that didn't matter because I think they'd already qualified at that point. Um, he looked absolutely phenomenal. But when the chips were down and there was a quality opponent there that smothered him and suffocated him, he just couldn't he couldn't pull that sort of performance out. And Italy looked absolutely fantastic from back to front. And they've just got so they've so many weapons, and this that, that was another one. You know who gets the goals? Insigne gets his gets his goal, gets that goal that he's been threatening to score the whole tournament. Barella, Barella gets the first one, and then Barella, yeah, Barella gets the first one. And what a, what a nifty piece of footwork in the box from him to just to create that space um, and a, an absolute smash and finish. And they've a goal disallowed before that as well from from another unlikely source, Bonucci. 
So and it's a soft penalty, isn't it? I mean, Doctor gets yeah, and it's a really soft one. Yeah, there's been softer, as we'll probably come on to talk about much softer, but yeah, it is soft, and I think without that penalty right at the end of the first half, that game's dead and buried, absolutely dead and buried, and and the Italians manage it out from there, but at least it kept the game interesting. So they've got a number, of, they've got a number of weapons, um, and yeah. I, I suppose that they did go. They went the way they went the way they were they were supposed to go. I guess if you want to look at it that way. Um, and again, the semis kind of semis kind of told us the same thing. The glamour the glamour tie was was the was the game that was really really worth the watch. And and the other game inevitably is England, where it was not worth a watch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to just to sort of come on then. To the semi-finals, as you you bring us along there nicely. I mean, Italy, Spain, it's 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 mouth-watering on on paper. Um, two, well, two top-quality nations um, over the years. To be fair, Spain have dropped off from from their from their peak, and and Italy haven't won a tournament in well since two thousand six uh, either. So. You know, not not at the very uh, top of 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 the tree currently, but two two very very good sides, and obviously in Italy a side that's um, that's that's looking good and has looked good the whole way through. Spain a bit more complex, um, a bit bizarre striker problems, no real goal score, scorer yet, ten goals back to back, sort of uh, consecutive games, five in each game. Um, yeah, so it was a it was a bit um, it was a bit more difficult to call this one. I mean, obviously Italy were were potentially slight favourites going into into the game, but the quality in the Spain squad meant that it really could go either way. So what? Yeah, I mean, Andy, what what did you make of this? It was a fabulous game, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I was actually lucky enough to be down at the game on Tuesday night, um, right behind the goal and with the Italy supporters. And yeah, it was just really enjoyable. I saw a lot of people at, at half time were, were talking about how it was a drab affair and both teams were kind of feeling each other out. And it probably was, but just, um, just kind of what being there, watching the two teams, watching, you know, how Benucci shepherds the ball out, how he's so well positioned that he doesn't really have to break stride or get into a sprint to get across to win the ball. And just watching Spain keeping possession, and it, 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 I really enjoyed it. And um, second half, obviously, they kind of turned it on a bit more. Chiesa gets the goal. I think Berardi has a really good chance and should probably make it two nil. Um, and then Spain, Spain, Spain get the equaliser, which I was quite happy enough because I, I was quite happy about because I wanted another another half hour of uh, of football in front of me. Um, and for everything that people have said about Spain, I thought when Morata came on, he was absolutely phenomenal. I thought he was really, 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 really good. As the penalty aside, obviously. Um, he gets his goal, he takes it so well, and you just knew when he was driving at that, uh, at that Italian defence, he was going to pick the right pass, because he can do pretty much everything apart from finish. He's a bit like Firmino in that sense. Um, obviously a very different player stylistically to Firmino, but he's, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought he was really good. I thought Almo was good. Oyarthabal was obviously the big surprise pick in the number nine position, um, kind of reminiscent back to the Del Bosque days where Cesc Fabregas started the Euro 2012 final up front. And obviously that was peak Tikataka, Pep Guardiola winning everything with Barcelona. 
and uh, they've tried to kind of replicate that and I think they really, really grew into the tournament for a team that was roundly mocked in the group stages, and rightly so for just how bad they were in front of goal. They went on to get that win against uh, they they got that win against Slovakia, and everyone was kind of saying, well, it's only Slovakia, it's one of the worst teams in the tournament. But you know they continued to look a little bit more ruthless in front of goal against Croatia. Obviously, Sarabia played a big part in that. As somebody who plays for Atletico Madrid, they're so good in both boxes, and that's exactly what uh, Spain were lacking. And and then, yeah, in the semi-final, as I say, that was probably their best game of the tournament. But the thing that I kind of came out of the ground thinking was that, albeit Italy probably were second best in that game, they, did Spain really create that many 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 chances? Certainly not really after they scored. Um, and I got, the, I got the feeling that, you know, for a team like Italy, who everyone's saying... They've got the character um, and they've got the, the mentality to go and win the tournament and the experience at the back with Kylian and Benucci. I thought that while it wasn't the most stringent defensive display of all time, I didn't I did get the feeling that Kylian and Benucci were relatively good at playing the percentages, restricting Spain to six or seven out of ten chances, and ultimately playing the percentages is how is how you get yourself to to, to the final of a tournament, which is what they've done. So. Yeah, Italy absolutely stormed the group stages. There have been a couple of knockout rounds where they've had to dig in, but that's exactly what they've done. There's been times where players off the bench have made a, an amazing impact. Obviously, Chiesa's has made his way into the team now, but he was a difference maker against Austria. Bellotti came on and looked really good. And even Berardi, who's taken a little bit of stick in this tournament, certainly in the knockout rounds, comes on and he's at least effective. He's at least getting himself into positions. And he's a great dribbler of the ball, which can you know come into which can really benefit you as you go on to extra time. And, and I mean, in terms of England-Denmark, it wasn't a fantastic game. England were effective. I'm sure we'll come on to talk about the penalty, uh, which is, you know, obviously a disgrace and the, the media reaction to it's a disgrace. And, you know, I was I was a bit disappointed for Denmark, but in all honesty, apart from the first half hour, which they clearly targeted to get their goal, which they ended up doing, I didn't think they really offered too much. I think they looked knackered and as much as I have a lot to say about the penalty, um, I can't really deny that that England probably do deserve to be in the final. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, <coughs> that always cuts hard. Um, so we'll, we will come back to, to focus a bit more on, on England uh, against Denmark uh, a little bit later on in, in the show. But sort of sticking a, a little bit more, first of all, with, with Italy versus Spain. I mean, Dave, Annie mentions there that perhaps on the night, Spain were potentially the better side, which um, which I think surprised surprised a few people, uh, myself included a little bit. I think Italy started off the better side, and and then Spain began to get the measure of them and, and worked their way into the game. And it was certainly a very evenly contested match. Obviously, <clears throat> Italy get the get the breakthrough, and when that comes. I think Italy are going to see it out from there. Were you surprised at all that it's being a back in it? Or, you know, obviously Andy says he was, he was chuffed because he got another half an hour, you know, being there in the atmosphere. and, and Very secretly all- chuffed, I may say, as I was surrounded by very <laughs> hard-looking Italians, yeah. <laughs> it was, Andy was dancing on the inside, but, uh, you know, looking look cheapish on the outside. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was an absolutely fabulous game, but uh, were, you, were you surprised at just how well Spain did in that game? How well they coped? I, I, I was. Now, I suppose you got to caveat that by saying that 
Spain did what they've done the whole way through the tournament. They had 70% possession of the ball, and they used the ball really well in the middle third of the pitch. But I kind of agree with Andy that do they create a lot of good chances? There's one, I think, Ayathabal has has two good chances that don't really end up being chances because there's one that he fails to gather in early in the game where he'd be right in the middle of the goal, and there's another one where he just doesn't hit it. The big chance him like, don't they? Yeah, and I think it's a funny one. I think Enrique gets it right and he gets it wrong at the same time by starting with the false nine because at least midfield can't cope. They just can't cope at all. They can't beat the press um, when they're trying to get out. They get smothered in the midfield. Um, They can't press Spain the way they've pressed and suffocated other sides. Um, and they, they weren't able to capitalise on the breakdown the way they have done the whole way through that tournament. I think that's, that's been a real a real um, marker of, of Italy's performances where at the breakdown, I think, they're absolutely superb. But what, what that meant was is they didn't really have anybody going beyond the ball. They didn't have anybody breaking beyond the two centre-halves until Morata came on. But I think they lost a bit of control then when Morata came on. Um, although they get the goal, yeah, but they don't really dominate in the same way after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Chiesa, I think we all know my thoughts on Chiesa. He's really grown into the tournament. I think he's absolutely fabulous. I've been crying out for the Reds to sign him for about four years now since he first broke through at Fiorentina, probably four, probably four or five years. Um, and, you know, he, he's, I feel kind of vindicated. Uh, his goal's phenomenal. Um, the the run and the pass for Berardi where he should make a 2-0 and should win me 300 quid because in case the first goal literally 2-0 is fabulous as well Um, but you know I think when it goes to penalties you, you don't expect anybody else to win do you? you just uh, <laughs> and Chiellini before the penalty shoot with Jordi Alba absolutely brilliant He's just there for a bit of crack, isn't he? He's like, he's like joke punching him in the face. And I don't know what happened, but it's almost like he lets on, he wins the toss. And Jordi Alba's going, no, no, I, we won the toss. And then he lets on, he's a bit confused. So the ref, so the ref does it again. And he wins the toss that time. Yeah, can um, I just cut in? I told you this last night, Dave, but when Kelly kind of pointed towards the Italian end, everyone around us was cheering, thinking it was down our end, and then the referee actually does a toss, and everyone's no idea what's going on. It was a bit crazy. There was a toss before that, and Kelly pointed, and then it looked like there was a bit of confusion. So I don't know if Kelly mm. kind of kind of played dumb and, and got him to <laughs> got him to do it again, just with a bit of Italian typical Italian gamesmanship, which wouldn't which wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility for sure. A um, couple of other takeaways. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on the game, Chief, and I'd be interested to hear them, but Pedri looks like he's going to be the best midfielder in the world for about the next 10 years. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, his use of the ball, um, passing progressively, absolutely superb. I think his pass percentage rate was 100% in the in the 90 minutes and then dropped to 98% after, after the 120 minutes. He looks absolutely top drawer, and, and people are wondering why Thiago wasn't starting. Why? Why would anyone just be without with Thiago didn't start? Well, that's why Thiago didn't start because this lad has got it all. Um, so you know it'll be fascinating watching how his career progresses. Um, but as far as 
as you know, as far as Spain go, um, you know what they could have done with a what they could have done with a, a Sergio Ramos and a, a David Villa, you know. But lo and behold, they didn't have them. And Italy did what Italy, Italy seemed to have done, where they just have a, a, a depth of attacking options to go and change a game if it's not working for them. Um, Immobile has far from Sean in this in this tournament. And actually, you know, Andy makes a comparison with Murata to to Firmino, but actually, I think there's parallels between Murata's tournament and Immobile's tournament, where they do so much good work off the ball and they create so much space. But when they get in front of goal, it hasn't kind of happened for them. Um, but I think the difference in that game is Mancini backs his man to do all the stuff that allows other players to go and do all the good work. Whereas, I don't know, dare I say it, and Enrique overthinks it, possibly. Don't know. So I don't know. What what, did, what what was your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to Mobile and Morata, it's a very interesting comparison because I think you're right, but Mancini basically... If 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 a mobile scores, it's a bonus. Whereas I think that Spain need Morata to score as well. You mentioned it yourself with the depth of attacking options that they have and, and goals from all those players. Um, potentially, the pressure isn't 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 on a mobile to get the goals, but he runs himself into the ground. Whereas Morata does a lot of good work, but the pressure's still on him. Plus, a mobile has the um, the advantage of being prolific, at least within Italy at, at club level. So he sort of, he, it's a no brainer that he's in the team because he's the, he's the top Italian goal scorer most years, isn't he? Um, yeah, so I think it's, I think he's done it. Th- I think he's the first player to do it three years. He's done three or four. First player since Signori. I, I think he, had, he might just be like, so consistently at that rung just below world class, but can never break into it even for one game. That's my worry with him. And I think against any sort of a, a real organized defense or a good line or decent, really decent defenders, I think he comes unstuck, but he can consistently play at that level just below, which is probably where he gets the 36 goals in this area. Well, that's it. He's, he went to Dortmund. It didn't work for him at all. But before that, he'd scored, four, I don't know, 40 goals or something mad for Torino, I think it was at the time. Um, Klopp signed him at Dortmund. It, it didn't work out for him at all. He didn't fit in with the culture. He didn't score any goals. It, it just went bad. And he went back to Italy and it, it took him maybe a season, season, a couple of seasons perhaps. But, you know, as you mentioned there, he's he's, he's right back on the horse and he's flying there. So, yeah, the way Mancini plays him, he he, he, he runs him into the ground. Um, so I think it's a, he, he has a little bit more license not to necessarily have to score. A little bit like Bobby in in that sense, whereas I think there is a bit more pressure on Morata, and I think Morata himself seems to be anyway, by all accounts, quite a fragile character mentally. But just on him, just to to sort of finish off, maybe on on this game and with touch on Morata, he he had a he comes on, I think he gets the last half an hour plus uh, extra time, so he plays an hour. and he scores a brilliant goal, and uh, not only the touch and the finish. But, you know, the drive to sort of set the move up, create the goal, really, and make it happen. And he plays really well for that hour. And he's, you know, it's a big game and he's, he's come and he scored the equaliser. And then 
you can almost you can see it. You know what's going to happen when he has to go up and hit that penalty, and it's one of them. Like I mean, what next for him now? Because he's you know he, he had sort of he had had his rede- redeeming game almost, and he'd had his moment, and and then he's right back down into the into the depths of despair again. What's next for 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 Murata, Dave? I, I I don't know. Go and see a psychologist, maybe. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, because you know he, the goals that he scored in this tournament are goals where he's taken a touch and not had to think about it, and he's just stuck it away. And I think he's a player. If he's playing on instinct, he could be unstoppable. But too often when he has half a second to think about what happens if he misses is what really is his kryptonite and the penalty is is, is kind of all the evidence you need for that because he's all the time in the world to think about what he's going to do with that he knows the statistics he knows if he goes high it's probably going to go in he knows if he hits it hard in the corner it's probably going to go in and he does neither of those things and it's poor from him um, and I, I do. I think he's just one of those strikers that worries too much about missing chances. Um, but I've all the respect in the world for him because what he does is he keeps putting himself in positions to miss those chances and keep putting himself into positions to come under that scrutiny. And this is the one thing that I will say on the comparison is. He's come in from a lot of criticism from a lot of different quarters, you know, not least of all his own fans. And I think we're all very aware of the the social media abuse that that he's had to suffer through this tournament um, and also his family has had to suffer through this tournament where, Andy, you might have a better perception of this from being in the Italian crowd. Despite Immobile's form in this tournament, they just still seem to absolutely adore him. Yeah. Yeah, he's one thing I noticed was um as good as the atmosphere as good as the atmosphere was in the Italian crowd, there weren't a huge variety of chants. And I think that's a that's a kind of cultural thing across Europe. It was constantly the Italia, Italia, Italia. And there were a couple of others. But uh Immobile was the only one who had his own song. And it kept getting sung over and over again. Anytime he made a good run um, or closed somebody down or did something that, that kind of gets the crowd up, he it, it was being belted out. Um, and that was, you know, there's there's scope definitely for him, you know, for the for the Italian fans to be getting in his back a little bit. I think Bellotti's look quite good when he's come on. But yeah, they, they do like a mobile and they do want him starting. And it was more than a few. It was more than just your kind of Napoli, or sorry, not uh, Napoli, who used to play for Lazio. It's more than just yeah. your Lazio fans in the crowd. It was it was everyone. You know, there were Inter uh, shirts, there were AC Milan shirts, this that, and the other. Uh, and I think on Murata, do you know what it just reminds me of? You know the way Jordan Henderson keeps stepping up to take penalties as if he's like this, as if he's like tr- really trying to show his leadership and show his mentality. When actually it's all right just to say I'm really shite at them. I'm gonna let somebody who can put the ball in the net take them. It seemed like that one, Murata, he keeps putting himself forward for these things. But, you know, nobody's going to accuse him of having bottled it if he didn't take a penalty in that shootout. You know, he's come on. He's got the goal. He's had terrible luck in front of the goal. I think he, has he missed two or three penalties in this tournament? 
I think he certainly he missed one against uh, Slovakia. And I think he missed another one at one point as well, at least another one. So, you know, it was, this is a really weird uh, analogy, but does anyone remember the Women's World Cup semi-final a couple of years ago uh, when England played the USA and uh, the centre half stepped up for England to take the last minute penalty and missed it? I don't is like it this. Is Lucy Bronze you're talking about? No, Steph Houghton, I think her name is. Oh, yes, the captain. Yep, and she stepped up to take the penalty. And to me, that struck, there's a little bit too much of the kind of Stuart Pierce redemption story. Everyone's desperate to be a Stuart Pierce who steps up and takes another penalty in the final um, to show their, you know, generally people who have to constantly talk up their mentality and tell everyone how great their mentality and how, how big winners they are generally aren't the winners and generally aren't the ones that have the strong mentality. And I think that's the thing with Murata. Yes, he does keep putting himself front of goal for these chances and fair play to him for that. But for God's sake, just let somebody else hit the pen. Like, Yeah, there's a there's a great example of this. And I think, is it the 90 World Cup chief? Um, it's Germany-Argentina, isn't it? In the final, yeah. In the final. And Lothar Matthias is the penalty taker. And everybody expects Lothar Matthias to take the penalty. And Matthias actually goes... Well, he's he's the designated penalty taker supposedly, and in the game, he says to Andy Bremer, "Mate, I don't fancy this. Would you go up there and take that? Because I'm just not feeling it." And Andy Bremer walks up and he sticks it in the tent, and and Germany win the World Cup. So that, you know, is is that mentality? Is that leadership? Is that self awareness? And you can look at it both ways. You, you could point to Matthias and say he bottled it, but actually, what you could do is you can point to Matthias and go, he had the nerve and the, the self awareness to pass the responsibility on to somebody who he thought would do the right thing and would potentially come in for even more criticism for not taking it had Bremer missed. But he took that risk and it paid off for him. I, so, I don't think the alternative is a good mentality, Dave. I think it's egotistical. I think, true, you know, true. And I, I made this point on, on my podcast last night, dead quick, about the uh, the idea that Mancini, um, I was telling the story about how Chiesa pulled up just before halftime and extra time, um, and he clearly wasn't able to continue. But Mancini waits until the next break and play after kickoff for the second half and extra time to take him off. And there are a lot of managers who get to that point in the game and think, well, fuck everyone. I've got the best team. I'm the best manager in the world here. I'm just going to go and win it. I've got this winning mentality. We only play to win, this, that, and the other. But actually, a manager who can set his ego to the side, say, listen, we're getting fucking battered here, and I need to do something. I need to break up the momentum of the play in any which way I can. And you can say that he's bottled it or that he doesn't have this elite mentality. But at the end of the day, at least in the final in Spain, aren't. It's about knowing how to win. And it's knowing when to, as you say, set your ego aside and probably that ability just to strip all the emotion back and make a calculated decision. And I think that in the heat of the battle, as they say, as Roy Keane would probably say, I think those are like proper elite sportsmen, the people who are able to just cut through all of the emotion and stress and anxiety of a situation like that, a high-pressured situation, and make a, a calculated and probably clinical and maybe even cynical decision. Um, and I think that's right. I think that's what's happened. And I think that's what Murata didn't do, which is a shame for him. 
Yeah, but, I mean, it, it, sorry, go ahead. No, just I was going to say, but you know, say la vie. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one because you wonder how much of a say he obviously has in that situation. Of course, if he really doesn't fancy it, he can say, nah, not for me. But, you know, it might might already have been decided before kickoff who's going to take the penalties. Might have been a case of nobody else fancied it, like famously with, with, with Gareth Southgate sticking his hand up for England. Nobody else fancied it, so he takes it and misses. So it's one of them, but but certainly it's a it's 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 a harsh moment for him in his career, having had so many it seems redemption stories just in one tournament. Every time he scored, it was like proving proving his critics wrong. So so yeah, critics are back on top with 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 Alvaro Morata anyway, and um, and of course Italy through to the final, which is on Sunday night, and they will face as was alluded to earlier by Andy um, England who uh, did need a penalty, although not in a shootout, uh, to, to, to beat um, a somewhat tired, if stubborn, or tired-looking, if, if stubborn, Denmark side uh, just a couple of days ago, Wednesday night. Um, yeah, so, Andy, you know, obviously we, you, you touched on the penalty earlier. We'll probably go into it. It's, it's definitely in the never-a-pen, never-seen-them-given camp um but it's sort of it, it, it's one of them where i feel that with the wording around the var law they've got it stitched up so that essentially no very very few decisions will be overturned and just to be clear with what i mean there it's it has to be a clear and obvious error one way or the other in order for it to be overturned so that is if the referee gives it and it's soft really soft but not a clear and obvious error i.e. there has been minimal contact of some kind or somebody brushes or sneezes in the right direction then it's not going to be overturned and and vice versa the, the threshold for for something being a penalty that that isn't given again it has to be you know pretty much actual bodily harm for it to be given so yeah I mean, overall, England, you, you mentioned as well, they probably deserved it over the course of the game. The Danes were stubborn, but England dominated without really peppering the Danish goal. I think that's fair. But, but yeah, what did you make of the game? And, and then, of course, the penalty and, and sort of the, the we, we can go all in then a, a bit later on the reaction to it and so on. But initially, the game. Yeah, the, the game was definitely the... The lesser of the two is, I think, both yourself and Davis, uh, Davis, as yourself and Dave have said so far. Um, it was, yeah, as I said, I, I kind of gave a really brief summary earlier. Kind of first half hour, Denmark came out, targeted that, and it, it was the first time everyone was saying it's the first time that England have actually come under any sort of adversity, um, and any kind of tribulations in this tournament. They've had it fairly easy. Yes, they've had some tough games, and I guess you could say the the nil nil against Scotland was something they had to come back from, but ultimately that was that got them to four points. It had them through in the group and they knew that they had a, a couple of chances to redeem themselves. Obviously we all know the draw's been very uh, kind to them. So yeah, it was an in, it was interesting to see. And um you know for that first half, bar uh you know quite a poor piece of defending from Kier, I still think he can probably get that over the bar or get that out somehow. It wasn't like one of those where it's either stick it in or the person behind you sticks it in. Certainly how it came across to me anyway. So, yeah, and then, yeah, as I was saying earlier, it's hard to argue as the second half goes on and throughout extra time, England do create chances. Um, 
the ball doesn't seem to fall their way a lot of the time. And Sterling is just this tournament. He's been, I hate to say it, no, we're on a Liverpool podcast, but he's, he's been player of the tournament for me. Um, I think is the runs he makes married with the speed uh, and the intelligence that he has just makes him nigh on impossible to defend against. Uh, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about the final, but I, I think if England could pick one position for Italy to be shite in this weekend, it would be left back. back and yeah. um, and Emerson Palmieri stunk Wembley out on Tuesday night and may well have to play there again, albeit he gets subbed off. And I think Di Lorenzo goes to left back and the Toloi fella goes to right back and he didn't convince at all either. I'll be at Florenzi's on the bench. We'll see if he's fit. But again, as I say, we'll maybe come on to talk about that a bit later. But yes, yeah, Sterling is just, um, he's just, I mean, you have to say fair play to Gareth Southgate. Everyone was saying, why is he not picking Sancho? Why is he not picking Foden? You know, to me, it seemed like this idea of, oh, the silly foreign league over there. No, I'll just stick to my English, proper English Premier League. Thank you very much. But fair play to him because Sterling has, uh, he seems to he seems to really need that um uh what's the word um choreography with his teammates and knowing them inside out and they know when to play the exact ball and he can make those runs in behind and it's not even one of those where maybe early days of Raheem Sterling at Liverpool he needed that space to run in behind and once teams kind of worked that out and sat deep he was really ineffectual he's now a really good technical footballer as well he can take that ball in a stride and he can get a shot away straight away. And he's one of the most dangerous players in the world. And I actually think you might see him, um, you know, people talk about Mbappe and Haaland going on to win a Ballon d'Or now after Messi and Ronaldo with that era kind of ends. I could actually see Raheem Sterling doing it if he keeps if he keeps this up, um, which is crazy to say after what, a year and a half of bad form. But every player has a dip in form. Keane's had his dip in form. Um, you know, every player kind of has it. And Sterling's had it now, and I think he's ready to really make that next step. And remember when he was at Liverpool, people in the Anfield rap were talking about he could go on to win the Ballon d'Or one day, and I think he actually might well do. Um, and that might be a a huge statement. I'm not sure, but it's it's and it may be recency bias, but it's how I feel right now. And um, yeah, yeah, they they get the penalty. Well, come on, you know, I know you just want to talk about the game now, so I'll leave it there. But yes, it's hard hard to argue with the fact that England. Um, with the chances they created, probably they do enough to win the game. Yeah, I mean, Raheem Sterling's an interesting one because I remember a few years ago, I mean, I'm I'm really, really pleased for him, I have to say, and, and I've been on record as saying I've, I've never really held a grudge about how he left Liverpool. I thought the club completely mismanaged that situation at, at the time. Um, and, you know, we, it, it was how it was, 50 million at that time wasn't, wasn't bad money for him and he, he had done well for us. We hadn't actually... We hadn't actually uh, kind of rolled with the times, and we we're still treating him like a youth player when he when he was clearly a very important uh, part of the side. So I think it's fair play to him. He's had to deal with it with a lot of crap, not least from England fans, uh, still dealing with it. Um, and I'm really pleased for him. I think he's he is England's best player, and he's he's probably um, going to prove that for this for this generation. Uh, and it's good to see because he's he's running games for them. Really, everything goes through him and. Assists, goals, and the, the the fabled hockey assist a couple of times with nice little back heels and you know just waiting for the right run on the outside and he's he's played really well. Um, yeah, the penalty, as I said, it it, it it's never a pen, but uh, but Sterling played well. Um, what did you make of it then, Dave? Um, yeah, anything, anything to add on it? And what was your take on 
on the game in general. Well, just quickly on Sterling, it's, it's absolutely world class. There's, there's, there's no, there's no doubt. And yeah, maybe his form hasn't been there. What he only scored 14 goals last year for City. Oh, oh, woe is me. He was dropped for for what, a, f- a few games towards the end of the season, maybe half a dozen, ten, somewhere between half a dozen and ten games. Does he start the Champions League final? I'm not sure. I can't remember. So, I work with me. I think he does, and it's controversial. I don't, but again, I don't know why it's controversial. He's absolutely world class. There's just no doubt about it. I think the the thing always labelled at Sterling is the fact that he's not the greatest finisher in the world, and he's not the greatest finisher in the world. And a lot of the goals he scores, he scores just because he he mishits it in such a way as he, he kind of does the keeper with a mishit, you know, kind of scuffs it beyond the keeper, and the keeper's go, oh, there's there's one in that game where he strikes it so cleanly, so unbelievably cleanly from about six yards out and he just hits it straight at Schmeichel. Because he's concentrating so much on the con- contact, he's not concentrating on where he's putting the ball. But, I think Andy, you're absolutely right. He's, he's been, the, he's probably been player of the tournament, you know, um, given Spinazzola has been out for a couple of games. Um, he's been missed um, and he will be missed, absolutely. But on England, England just did what England have done. I think the Ukraine game flattered them. They, they score what? Three three headers, pretty much. Is that right? Three from set pieces? Yeah, it's, it's a bit like the, um, it's a bit like the, is it Honduras game from the World Cup where they win 6 six nil or something? Uh, Panama. Panama, yeah. Panama game from the World Cup. It's, it's a bit like that one. I think in that one there were a lot of headers and a couple of pens. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, they're, 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 they're yeah, good well, at set pieces. The Ukraine lo- are playing three at the back and they lose uh, their most experienced centre-back after half an hour. And basically at half-time, Southgate and the English, England lads have noticed the big hole and they, they play in it and they score quick goals. And, and, and that's that. So it's good tactical play, but but they're already playing a weakened team who sets up in a, which sets up in a, in a particular way and then gets that scuppered by, by losing their most important kind of cog in, in that system as well. Yeah, so, like, yeah. Like, fuck me, Jordan, Jordan Henderson scores a header from a corner. I think I've seen that once in my life and the header that he scored came off his shoulder against Wolves. <laughs> Do you know? So that's what we're talking about. Are they going to get away with that against, against Italy with Benucci and Chiellini heading balls all day out of the box? Mate, Chiellini lives for that. Every well, header, every header he heads into the box is the equivalent of him scoring a goal. He misheaded one against Spain behind for a corner, and there was four or five players were high fiving him after it. Do you know what I mean? That is bread and butter to those guys. So I think the one there was a running theme against Denmark, and this is the thing that I that I found strange is that. Whether you've noticed this or not, every corner was to the back, the back post corner of the six-yard box, and it was Maguire. Every single one was on Maguire. Am I correct in saying that? Did anybody else notice that? Yeah. You know, so I don't think that I don't think that they would necessarily have the same joy. Certainly, 
certainly not the same joy as they had against Ukraine, and maybe not the same joy they had against um, they had against Denmark in that department. Um, on the penalty, then, Chief, I know you're saying clear and obvious, and I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I, I feel like that shouldn't apply for a penalty kick. I think a penalty kick is too much of a game changer to be left at clear and obvious because all that says to me is if you dive enough in the box you're going to get one sooner or later and they did and, and they did, did. And, because and because Kane has good. a go at it Kane has a go at it earlier on and Kane has a go at it in the second half and yep. doesn't get away with it so yeah I think England did what England did they they kind of dominated possession which isn't really like them but they were solid um but I didn't think they were great without the ball, being totally honest with you. I, I don't think they've been particularly good without the ball all tournament. They've given up chances, I think. They but do. They've given up chances up against Scotland. And I just, I, I think this is a really, really interesting game. I think some of this England side, I'm gonna, this is going to come back to bite me. I've been saying this the whole tournament, that England are shit and they're no good and, they're, and they are horrible watch. But I... I don't think that squad's being utilised well enough. And see those two guys sitting in front of the back four? Neither The two of them combined aren't as good as Jordan Henderson. If Jordan Henderson doesn't play in one of those positions, then for me, as as an Italy fan, uh, and the, very much an anti-English fan, not necessarily for the team, but for a variety of different reasons around the press and the fans and the behavioural aspects of just England English football mentality in general... Um, I'll be pleased to see that. But if that's if he wants to go for the back with kind of a mount and a ten and those two midfielders, that I think that midfield three of it at least will swallow them up. And whether they can go and create chances against that side with the pace and the movement that they have, um, I think that I suppose I don't know whether you want to move on to the, what we think about the final now. I don't have an awful lot else to say about the game other than the penalty is a disgrace. Um, it's not a penalty. Four penalty decisions, VAR should be looked at. And, well, and the, referee, the referee should be told, you, you, listen, mate, you haven't made a mistake because I can totally understand why you've given that. But at the same time, it's not a penalty. Yeah. So... I, you, yeah, I completely agree. I have to say, I completely agree. But but the wording of the law now, as Peter Walton on on co commentary was, and it's funny uh, how his 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 tunes changed from rep from from his analysis and uh, position on Premier League games, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is what it is, and I, I think Andy wanted to touch on it earlier, and I'll just just throw this in. I mean, it is the the English media's distinct hypocrisy and lack of perspective when it comes to anything in you know that, that goes for England anything that goes against them is is the worst thing in the world but anything that goes for them they deserve it we deserve it and the number of times your man Matterface banged on about how much England deserved deserved as if nobody else had suffered over the last fucking year and a half it was, it was quite annoying but even entitled but even, to it almost yeah, very, very galling when you have to sit and listen to it. And those are the reasons why right-minded people don't support England, I have to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, no no 
not even really. I mean, Lee Dixon's analysis was, yeah, I don't even care. I don't want to talk about it because we got the penalty. And of course, it's understandable, but you can imagine if that had gone to Denmark, the penalty, and how much they'd have wanted to talk about it. So things like that are, are a little annoying. Andy, you anything to, to sort of add on that? I know you wanted to, to, to perhaps say one or two words on the on the subject. Yeah, um, I saw a headline in a newspaper today. I think it was a mirror, and the back page of it was Streetwise England versus Dark Arts Italy. I thought, oh, that's quite funny. Nice bit of satire there, taking the piss out of their own media and the, the kind of bias they have. Wasn't ironic. Honest to God. And you know, I, I sat back and I thought, fair play to them. Because usually this whole xenophobic narrative is, is you know, maybe a hundred years ago, you could say the N-word, it was fine. You could get away with it. Everyone was kind of racist. And the racists these days are like, they're, they're quite good at um, shoehorning a, a narrative in, in a way. Found where the you, PC, they found a PC way to be racist, haven't they? Yes, they have. And they'll, 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 they'll do it in a way, like the narrative will be a bit xenophobic, but when they say, what have I ever said that's racist, it's hard to pinpoint one thing which you can really get them with. So they're really clever with it. And I thought, fair play to the mirror. Because this the shamelessness of just putting that up, I, I thought I, I thought I really respect that. Like you are you're all scumbags, but you actually, you know, you, you actually owned it. And yeah, it it's exactly that. Um the chastisement and the pillorying of Italy and in particular Chiro Mobile after that Belgium game. And don't get me wrong, it was quite funny, the Immobile thing. But the the whole moral high ground thing over it, listen, I just hope now that going forward in the Premier League where this stuff's talked about every weekend and is disproportionately, I think, um, labelled at certainly foreigners and even black players as well. Obviously, I know Sterling goes down, but I think he, you know, being English... um, gets away with it a little bit more, but certainly not as much as, as the likes of a Harry Kane would have got away with it. I think it's just um, at least now we've got something where we can all just say, yeah, but you didn't really care about Sterling doing it, did you? And maybe maybe that will count for something now because we've, you've got a massive, massive moment where England have done it and any virtue signaling about Maradona and any virtue signaling about any other team being streetwise, you can just say, um, listen, Raheem Sterling, there's been countless um, levels of hypocrisy called out, not least by Jamie Carragher. I'm sure you've probably seen it, Chief, because I know you're not his biggest fan. But where he did a column after the PSG Liverpool game saying Neymar's a disgrace, we need to kick this out. And then he, he did a column the other day saying Sterling and Kane aren't cheats, they're streetwise. I mean, they're not even they're not even trying to cover it up anymore. Um, and I, I just hope that now this is a moment where we can move on from this. We can say everyone does it. We benefited from it. Um, and we're not just not going to take any sort of moral high ground about it because I think generally moral high ground in football and a lot of moral high ground in, well, yeah, certainly in football, just don't take it because there'll always be an instance where you'll get caught out being inconsistent with it with your team. So I think that's the best way forward. Well, that's, that, that's it, I think. And, and I think you're absolutely right. And don't take the moral high ground because there's no morality in football. football yeah. it's, a, it's a game. And I have a mate who, who for some reason finds that uh, certain, like, if you dive, it's cheating. 
but if you if you two foot someone, it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. Either one of them, both of them are cheating, or, or neither of them is cheating because you can't cheat in football. The referee enforces the rules and, and so on and so on. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, it is it is ridiculous. I mean, I I hope you're right, and it would be great if it was possible. But I remember the 2002 World Cup where Michael Owen the blatant dive against Argentina and England. I think one win one nil back and scores a pen. As far as I can remember, and it's a blatant dive. Like I mean, it's one where the defender sticks the foot out, pulls it away, and there's no contact. And Owen, you know, flips both his feet back as if he's been tripped and, and goes down. And there was talk about it at the time, of course. And yeah, well, the rest is history. You know where we've gotten to now with 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 the diving thing. It's back to being dirty foreigners again. Um, so hopefully this this might serve as something for people to kind of at least point to for a little while and and kind of tone down the hypocrisy a wee bit. Um, I've enjoyed both of your naivety on this subject in the last couple of minutes, lads. But yeah, it, will, it will absolutely not change. It will absolutely not change. And I think we can at least make them look a bit more like a tit when you've got something explicit you can point to at the highest level where everyone was fine with it, though. And that yeah. counts for something. I think there's. I listened to the. I listened to the Guardian. After the Italy game, and I heard um, Simon Brunton, I think he's called, talk about how after the Italy-Belgium game, he had to go away and he was so appalled by it, it sucked all the fun out of the match. And he had to sit down and have a word with his son about how this was such a terrible thing that was a plague on our game. And I wonder if he's having the same conversation with his son after Kane and Sterling's behaviour in that match. I doubt it very much. And the final point is, and I made a point. I made a point of going to listen to the, the the BBC Euros podcast. Mark Chapman, and I actually quite like Mark Chapman, but he was talking about how did Spinazzola really need that stretcher <laughs> after he ruptured his cruciate, or sorry, ruptured his Achilles tendon. Um, and this, this, these were the accusations being labelled at at the Italian team. And I went down and listened after listened to the to the podcast just for pure interest sake after the semi final against Denmark. Not one single word in the penalty. Not a single bloody word on the penalty. And that's and what goes. I mean, that's what goes you about. Just to cut in a second, that's what goes you about England and a, and a, and all the crap they spout. And why don't you like this? And oh, isn't it just so great? No, it isn't. It's because you don't have any fucking perspective. It's because you, everything that happens for you should happen and is the natural order of things. And anything that you don't like is cheating, is disgusting, is a plague. And Simon Brunton, if that is your name out there, people like you that ruin the game. Football has a million ways to be played. It it, it doesn't have to be the beautiful game. And, you know, if, it, if, if playing the ugly game, the cheating game, whatever you want to call it, rolling around on the floor. If it won England the World Cup every four years, England will be right behind it. I think that's what, what pisses people off. So, so so sorry about that one. Nope, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Completely agree. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so moving on then, the final. I mean, Dave, you touched on it earlier. Um, you wonder if, it, if, if England will be, well, will England have to step their game up? Can they? Can they rely on what they've been doing against uh, against what is, you know, a top outfit in Italy, a, a team that many uh, fancied before? 
the uh, the tournament kicked off and a team that, that has probably looked the best going through uh, had the toughest tougher side of the draw and they've come through a, a couple of games have gone all the way but um, they've, they've survived pretty much unscathed I don't think they've been behind at any point in the tournament so yeah what do you what do you see for the big one it's interesting from the English press a lot of the a lot of the talk about this Italy side was, well, they haven't played anybody yet. They haven't played anybody yet. There's 33 games unbeaten. And they've come through Belgium, the number one ranked team in the world. They've come through Spain. Um, and do you know what? They've had to dig deep against good sides in this tournament. And they've come through it. And what you would probably say... The Belgium game and, and the Spain game, two very, very different ways to win a game of football against two very two two top top sides with proper, proper world class players and with Belgium a decent manager, with Spain an absolute elite manager who's won it all at club level. So I don't think you can say the same thing about this England side. I think they get to I think in both the last two international tournaments, they've got through to the semi-final stage and now the, the stage of the final where they haven't played anybody and they've been very, very fortunate in both of those tournaments on how the draw has fallen for them. Will they be able to come up against Italy and play the game they want to, whatever game that is? Because I don't really know what it is. It's a bit Mourinho. It's a bit try and be solid and let's play two number sixes to protect the back four that I don't think that's good. And, there's this glaring hole between the midfield and, and the front four, if you will. And I think Mason Mount's a great player, but I don't actually know what he is. And I think as much as Mount has impressed me in the last season and a half, I think he's been largely ineffectual in this tournament. But he'll start. I think we probably know the England team that will start now. Um, he'll pull Grealish from the bench as a break glass option. You'll see Sterling, Saka, if he's fit, which he probably will be, Kane, Mount. You'll probably see Phillips, Rice, and you'll see the same back four. Um, I think Andy touches on a really good point. I think you, you've agreed with him earlier on, where I think it will be one, I think, in two areas of the pitch, in the midfield, and England's right-hand side versus, versus Italy's left-hand side. If I'm Roberto Mancini now, if I can get Florenzi on the pitch at right back and put De Lorenzo at left back, that's probably what I'm doing. Because I don't really want em Emerson Palmieri there trying to, you know, control um, Raheem Sterling, particularly in the form that he's in. Because Sterling is their Sterling is their is their option. Um and, and Saka. Certainly I think Saka played right hand side for for some of the game as well and, and he's pacing and he's quick um, and he gets in behind so I think that's really been England's only weapon if you look at all of their goals that they've scored bar the dodgy penalties you know Ukraine they score the goals um, from the set pieces but aside from that all their goals have been like Manchester City goals getting to the byline putting it back in the six yard box and it's a diving header or it's a tap in or it's an own goal so, I don't think that's any surprise seeing you've Raheem Sterling playing absolutely out of his skin. Um, so, 
I think Mancini will probably be, I would say, certainly be acutely aware of that. What they can do to stop that supply line is going to be a really interesting tactical battle in there. Um, but again, England without the ball haven't massively impressed me. And I don't think, I think they're pinning a lot of, a lot more kudos on this Germany win than probably they should be. Um, because Germany didn't really carry a threat going forward. And I saw the number of times that Germany were able to get in behind England and were able to play through those two number sixes that they're playing. The problem is, is they had a Leon Goretzka or a Thomas Muller trying to run away from Kyle Walker, which, or, or even Harry Maguire, John Stones, which isn't, isn't really ever going to happen. If you've got a Mobley or Berardi or Insigne, or Chiesa um, doing those bits and pieces, they might come unstuck in that regard. So, yes, Italy might not have played a, a massive clutch of, of high-quality sides, but, boy, England haven't played anybody of any note. Germany, what, one? Did they win one match? Yep. Is it, they won one match out of four? You know, and that was against a very poor, a very poor Portugal side. Who scored two own goals? I think in that game they did score two own goals. Yeah, um, and they looked decent, but you know that that was the anomaly. So I think this is fascinating. I really do. I think it's going to be really interesting. I don't. I think it. I think it. Despite the fact that it's England, I think it's going to be a really good game of football, and I do think Italy are going to come out on top. Interesting, interesting. Yep, absolutely. Well, it should be um, it should be a great game anyway. I mean, that is is something that you can you can sort of pin your hat on. I mean, I know that um, or pin your hopes on, hang your hat on. Perhaps is this phrase I was looking for. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting the way you say about England. They're not they're not that attractive to watch but at the same time they do play with a with with a good pace they do try to start games on the front foot um which is which can be refreshing at international level it's not always the always the case and of course this this Italy Italy side has been very front foot and um, very in your face high pressing looking of course to um also to to play on the break but at the same time looking to put pressure on and, and to score goals so i am expecting a a good game having said that finals can often the nerves can and, and the pressure and the anxiety can get the better teams and they, they can be cagey affairs um andy so just come to you on this i mean how do you how do you see it going um do you think it'll be a cagey one do you think uh England's kind of quality will, because they, they do have a, a very strong squad. Dave reckons that they've not been perhaps utilised the best, and there are a lot of people that maybe think that, although others are coming around to Southgate's tactics and the way they've been playing and, and saying that he's been vindicated. So how do you see this going? Can it, can England do it? Are it be too good for them? Is it going to be a, a humdinger or is it going to be cagey? What, what's your take? Well, I think, you know, Wembley on Sunday night from 8 o'clock to any time between 20 past 8 and half 8 is going to be the loudest, most feral atmosphere 
that that ground has ever seen, certainly since the new Wembley was built. Um, and for Southgate not to try and take advantage of that and not to really come out of the blocks and try and do what Denmark did to England, I think would be absolutely mental because I think the only way England win this game is by getting a goal in that first half hour period. And I think they have to just really go for that. Um, and as for Italy, if I'm Mancini, I'm probably doing the exact opposite. I'm looking at that half hour period. I'm just thinking, get to 30, get to 20, 25, 30. And then if they do that, the crowd will get nervous. There's no doubt about that. There's no crowd which is just constantly singing and going mental for 90 minutes. It's not possible. In the same way a team can't go hammer and punch for 90 minutes, a crowd can't do it either. You pick your moments, you know, you're, you react to what's going on on the pitch. And I think if Italy can ride that wave, uh, which I don't think there's a better team internationally that I'd back more than Italy to be able to ride the wave. And the wave, it's going to be one hell of a wave. Believe me, it really is. As much as I can't stand England fans, it's going to be one hell of a wave um, if they do go for that. And I think, yeah, as I say, Italy are the team to be able to ride it. So I think it all depends on that first half hour. I think Dave was saying earlier, uh, maybe it was last night, he was saying that the first goal wins it. I think the first goal wins it if it's England. Um, but if Italy get the nil-nil on uh, 30 minutes, Italy win it. Um, and I'd probably back them to just about do that. Um, completely agree with Dave's analysis on the fullbacks. I think you do try and get Florenzi and Di Lorenzo on the pitch any which way you can, certainly from the start. Even if Florenzi can only do half an hour, or sorry, even if Florenzi can only do an hour, you get him on. Um, and then, you know, the longer the game goes on, the longer Italy keep it tight, the longer you back Italy, generally, at any point in the last 20 years since I've been alive, you've always backed Italy in that situation. Um, and the only thing I could add really is just a couple of tactical um, notes that I've made on like how effective Rice and Phillips are really going to be. You think um, in the sense that Italy and Spain, we've already talked about, they set up so, so differently in the sense that Spain are literally playing with a false nine to go into, to drop into midfield and to create a numerical advantage there. Rice and Phillips, the way they've been playing in this tournament would be perfect for that. To be fair to them, they've mopped everything up. Um, they've done so really well and you know they're they've done their jobs really effectively and they seem to really enjoy doing their jobs however you've got a mobile who doesn't really drop in that much he's not you know completely averse to it but he's you know i've i've been frustrated with him in this tournament but mainly because they keep trying to play this like chip ball over the top to him which he never seems to quite get on the end of um albeit he forces the keys a goal the other night by doing that but my point is he's never going to drop into that area that Rice and Phillips are going to occupy. And Verratti and Barella are very much number eights and no more. Um, and in all game. action as well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And they're not really going to, you know, it's not going to be a case of where it's going to become 4-2-3-1 really, where one of those two players is going to be in the number 10 occupying that. They're very much two number eights playing either side of Jorginho. And... I can kind of see a situation in my head, and I'm sure it won't play out this way because it never does, but I can see Rice and Phillips just kind of looking at each other half an hour into this game and thinking, who are we marking here? We're literally in a load of space in the midfield where nobody is. Um, and that's why I think it could be interesting. So, yeah, it remains to be seen the effectiveness of Rice and Phillips, uh, I guess, uh, given everything I've said there. And the other thing, I, uh, I suppose, is just... Uh, as I say, I agree with what they've said in the fullbacks, but 
Um, there's been a lot of chat about why Chiesa hasn't started in this tournament in the group stages, and it was mainly because Chiesa is a little bit better off the left than he is on the right. Sorry, uh, is better on the right than he is off the left, and uh, Lorenzo Insigne kind of has that left-wing position nailed down. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see which side Chiesa plays on. One of the reasons Mancini apparently loves him so much is because he covers so much ground and he's such a hard worker. And I'm just thinking maybe Chiesa on the left-hand side, if he is going to go for Palmieri, or even if he goes with Di Lorenzo playing on the other side, that's still somewhere probably England are going to target regardless of what comes through in the team sheet. Um, then it could be worth maybe having Chiesa there to give him that protection. And Chiesa, like, a Tuesday night, I, I agree with Dave. He's, a, he's an absolutely fantastic player, but he doesn't really get into it apart from the goal on Tuesday night where he provides that moment of quality. And I think he is a player who's able to sacrifice himself for the first half hour of that game when they're riding, as I say, the English wave and still be there to produce that moment of quality um, like he does against Spain. So it'll be an interesting one. And I guess that's maybe where Rice and Phillips could come into it in the sense that Chiesa does like to cut inside, do what he did on Tuesday night, and they'll be there to kind of cover that. But apart from that, I think they could find themselves kind of looking at each other and not knowing what to do. So, yeah, there's a load of different uh, ways in which the game could play out. I think it's going to be an interesting game. I do think England are going to... I think it would be a mistake if England made it cagey, um, you know, for the first half hour, because I think that's their best chance of getting the... You know, I, it wouldn't shock me if England were 2-0 up on 30 minutes. It, it absolutely wouldn't shock me at all, and I think that's their best way of winning this. Um, But I think Italy are going to ride the wave, and I think Italy are... Uh, the quality... um is just going to show in the end. And they're just going to find a way like they've done all tournament. And I hope to God that I'm right. <laughs> just finally, just finally on Chiesa, because I'm like, obviously his biggest fanboy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your point's interesting, Andy, because what he's been doing for Juventus for quite a bit this season is playing right wing back. Okay. So he does have that ability to, to go up and down and to provide that defensive cover. Um, he's got the legs, he's got the energy. And the other thing about him is, and I heard Nicky Bandini say the same thing the other week, is that this is a player that over the last probably three years in the big games, that's where he's, that's where he's at his best. He is a quintessential big game player. And we've seen it in this tournament already. You know, he comes off the bench against Austria when the tips are down um, and he scores an unbelievable goal. And again, you talk about his work rate, that first goal against Spain, he makes that run from just outside his own box to back the play up. And you see how quickly that ball's moved from Donnarumma to Verratti to, I think it's Insigne, and the ball through the immobile. How Chiesa is there back in the play up and picking up that loose ball from the tackle is just down to pure work rate, determination, pace, and anticipation. And that is the sort of game winning mentality and the difference that he can make. So I'm doing the same bet I did for the semi final. It's Chiesa first goal 2 0 Italy, and that's what I'm what I'm what pinning my hat on, Chief. Excellent, excellent. Well, pin it, hang it, whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> What's your prediction, Chief? How can you see it going? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I also think at least quality will, will probably shine through. I'm surprised England have got to where they have, but 
but only because not because of the quality of their players I and mean, their squad is 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 right up there um it's going to be interesting if they can do what you say and 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 go at it least first 20 minutes and get a goal then all bets are off but I don't think they will get that early goal, and I think in the end, Italy will probably win out. Yeah, it's going to be tight. But I'm dead worried they won't. I I think it's more or less 50-50. actually do. I think it's more or less 50-50. Yeah, I mean, it it could definitely go either way. So, I mean, it's good to have a a real final where any result is possible. It could go all the way or either side could win it in normal time. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope it is great. And I It is a home game for England, don't forget, which for the majority of the tournament, except for their easiest game, has been a home game. So. I know, but Dave, I'd honestly, seeing being down there on, um, on Tuesday night, Wembley was pretty much like Rome. And I, if there, like, if there are tickets available, it is 50-50 to both sides. Obviously, you know, the corporates and the the politicians jumping on the bandwagon will be supporting England and it might be 60-40 but it, it probably won't be any more than that if, te- if those tickets are available the Italian fans they will fill that out yeah it should be some atmosphere I'm going to be I mean that's probably going to be certainly pre-game it's going to be the highlight you know and, and here at the singing seeing the fans even if, even if there are a lot of England fans there I mean it's just brilliant to have had fans back and, and in numbers for large parts of this tournament and, and yeah Long may that continue. That that be the, the start of it all, just being normal again. So, so yeah. Anything else then, lads? Any anything to add before we wrap it up? There, I think we'll leave transfers for another time because we've we've rambled on for long enough. Nope, that all sounds good. No, Italy winning sounds good to me after all that. So yeah, well, let's let's just let's just leave it there and hope we're all right. Just leave it there. Absolutely. So, the, the last thing I would like to say is. Um, English fans have the temerity and complete classlessness to boo the greatest national anthem in the history of national anthems, then they deserve to lose miserably on that alone. They will do that. Of course they will, because it's everything that they are. There's no if about it. They will you know, do it. Again, reason number one, reason 101 for, for not supporting England. The fans booing the anthems. Yeah, and that we'll not get into all of the other extraordinarily distasteful things that England fans have tended to do over the years, and 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 this this uh, you know this tournament has been no different. They're just not wrecking another country, just just their own this time. So um, there we are. And on that note, then let's let's hope we have a let's hope we have a cracking final and three hopeful Northern Irish lads that uh, there's a there's an Italy win on the cards. But we'll be magnanimous no matter what happens, and we'll probably come to you afterwards and and have a wee chat about. Will we fuck be magnanimous? <laughs> we'll be like you. Anyway, so yep, it just remains for me then to thank very much my guests tonight, Andy Bell and Steve Dunn. Thanks a lot, lads. Pleasure. Thanks, Rosen Chief. Enjoyed it. Not at all. Anytime. And um, and yeah, I've been your host, Neil Patterson. And um, that's thank you very much, of course, listener, if you've stuck with us for this long. So yeah, cheers, cheers on that one. And um, yeah, it's been a good tournament. Let's hope we have a great final. And uh, the England fans can't wreck it. So up the Reds and up the Italian. Mm-hmm.